A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 105, with your hosts, Pete Steinberg and James Patterson. So welcome, everyone. Dan Power still recovering. We hope to have him back in the seat. But while I sit in Dan's seat, we're lucky to have James Patterson again, who's sitting in my seat. The only person who's sitting in the same seat is Stats Boy, Aaron Castro, but the rest of us. So James, um, welcome and thanks for thanks for filling in again. No, happy to happy to fill in one. I, I I'm guessing this is probably the last time because you can't keep Dan out for three episodes already. I think like he's been sipping the herbal teas with a little bit of honey today to try and get that sweet voice going. But uh, we'll have him back. Well, look, look, I want Dan back because it turns out hosting is like from the main seat is much much harder than just sitting around and answering questions which is what i normally do so <laughs> so there's there's a lot more pressure so i want dan back because i've realized how much more difficult his job is but but you're like you accepted this recording while your wife is about to give birth is she at the hospital yet no no i mean that would be <laughs> the next level of commitment if she was she's just in the car waiting right now so she's just in the car she, but, but can we make this quick yeah, your hospital bag is packed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so your hospital bag is packed now. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of rugby going on. The Premiership kicked off. We've got, you know, this the the uh, um, the rugby championship. NPC kicked off. Um, what are some of the things that have stood out for you as with as as rugby season has got back um, on TV in various forms? I mean, I just think you look at the different competitions around the world and then the impact that COVID still has on some of the competitions and coming through major league rugby doing as well as it did during this period and seeing, you know, provincial rugby in New Zealand struggle, you know, it's, it's still playing a factor in world rugby and you can, and you can see it with some of the players as well, because you can't replicate that intensity at training. So you see some of these sides that have time off and they come back, they're lagging a little bit and you can never underestimate the impact that a crowd has on a rugby game. Right. And, and I think maybe we saw some of that with with Australia's success against South Africa. Now, I don't know how, how old you are, but but Quade Cooper came back to the Wallabies and kicked a win. I mean, it's like he was playing second division. I mean, does that make you want to put your boots back on, James? But he came from club rugby to coming back and, and he's still in great nick. In fact, such good nick that I think I saw Gitto made a post saying that he was ready to come back to the Wallabies again. But again, it just shows you that that world-class players are still world-class players as we saw with Ghetto when he came across to Major League Rugby. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, we had, we were hearing some rumours about Quade Cooper potentially coming to MLR this past season. So, so it like, you know, these guys that are coming over, and we saw this with the Giltinis and you see it with, you know, Adam Ashley Cooper and you saw it with with Ghetto, like these world-class players when they come in, you know, we saw it with Marnonu the year before, they just, they have so much time on the ball. And, you know, we're all, of course, going to talk about the backs, right? But you saw Paddy Ryan, yeah. you know, and his impact. Like, you just see these guys come in. And we'll hear from um, Gary Gold a little bit later that he likes those guys coming in because it raises the level for for the Eagles. So I think I think it's a fascinating, um, you know, journey. But, yeah, just lots of exciting rugby. You know, the ball's in play. I just, I read a really interesting article about, you know, the, the premiership is really putting a focus on the breakdown and, and keeping players on their feet in the breakdown. And one of the reasons why South Africa are struggling in their games against Australia is that they've got British referees or English referees who are making people stay on their feet. It makes the game faster. The South Africans can't um, 
uh, play that fast game. You can check my Twitter account, PJ Rugby Nine, if you want to read the article. But a fascinating article about how it's not the law changes that are making it difficult, but the interpretation of the current laws at the breakdown that is really making an impact on the game. It's also maybe the law changes that are making it less interesting to watch. Forty-four kicks in the one game already. So I think English rugby was already... 44 kicks in the, in the half. Half, In yes. one of the premiership games, yeah. 44 kicks in the half for the 50-22 rule. What is the 50-22 rule? Can you explain it? Do you understand it? Basically, if you if you kick the ball out, so it's, it's the old rugby league style, the 40-20, but it's a 50-20-22. So if you... I think it was designed to basically force more players to come back to cover it, to allow more space to attack, which is kind of counterintuitive anyway, because you never really attack... You always want to come to the line and attack, uh, kick off an attacking position when players are coming up anyway. But if you're able to put the ball out in the 22, you win the line out and you can see the impact. I mean, just if this law comes into Major League Rugby next year, we haven't had clarifications. You know how dominant the, the line out drive is. This is going to play a significant factor. And I think you're going to see a lot of sides pick two pivots. Put another yep. guy in the team that can kick. Is he is right he footed, left footed? Well, right, right, yep. yeah, right footed, left footed is going to be like you know people are going to be going out looking for that left footed kicker that can play like like can defend a little bit, run a little bit, but can yep. kick really well. Or maybe you're fullback, right? So you know it's it's like you 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 definitely need. I mean, and and you you must think that a team like Rugby ATL must be like oh, <laughs> this is they, they already play that game. They already play that game. <laughs> they don't have the fifty twenty two rule. Well, you saw how good yeah. Cardi was in the couple, yeah. in that first Test match against Canada. I think he actually had two or three of them in one game. So it'll yeah. be interesting. So lots of stuff going on in in rugby. I'm excited to have uh, James Patterson with this. And the tonight's banter is brought to you by shopmlr.com powered by the rugby shop and there's still good deals on there season's over but for new fans for the dallas fans that are getting excited because there's dallas news coming um you know you can go and go and see what they have but for everyone else get to shopmlr.com and go you see i can't do this without ever like tripping over my words james we need dan power the host back but um we had a great chat a little bit earlier today with um, Gary Gold, a beautiful, honest, open conversation with Gary. And so um, let's jump to our interview with Gary from earlier today. Well, we'd like to welcome Gary Gold, the coach of the USA Men's Eagles to MLR Kickoff. Thanks, Gary, for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, James. Lovely to be with you guys and Aaron. So, we're, you know, we, we have a lot to get through. This is going to be hopefully, a, a, you know, we have two coaches on the uh, on the call here, Gary. So we might get a little deep into some of the stuff that we saw um, in the Canadian series and what's coming up in Uruguay. But before we get there, what we really want to talk about is MLR and the impact that it's had on the um, on the Eagles. And, and we want to start with Actually, the coaching staff, because you have three coaches um, that all have MLR experience. So can you talk a little bit about how you thought about that and how you thought about bringing those coaches on board um, and, and you know, what their knowledge of MLR has brought to you? Sure. Um, yeah, as, as you quite correctly said, I mean, it's, it's not an accident that the three coaches have all been involved in the MLR. I mean, it's actually completely by design. I mean, one of one of the the many remits that I had when I when I was first appointed is, and one of the things that I'm quite passionate about is is helping also develop American coaches, and um, by American coaches I mean guys that are based in America and working here and are dedicated towards the American game, um, and. Um, there's some guys who put in a lot of hard yards and none more so than you guys on this call. I know how hard you guys have worked and, you know, over a number of years and various different capacities within the game. Um, and one of the things, you know, that was post bankruptcy and, and reevaluating everything with USA rugby and trying to get a lot of things right that may not have been right. Was, 
you know, that we want to work really closely together with the, with this competition, with the MLR, um, help develop the coaches and and also use their their knowledge and their ability of what they, they're living and eating and breathing, you know, day to day. So it wasn't a case of just wanting to fly in overseas coaches for the sake of it. Um, again, you know, uh, uh, there is always a balance with that, but I just felt that with, with the coaches that we had, we struck that balance. So when I first came on board, obviously we had... Um, uh, Sean and and and, and Scotty Lawrenson and and then Greg McWilliams and uh, Greg unfortunately had to go back to Ireland for family matters as as many of you guys know and then Scotty's now one of the the GMs and head coaches of DRs at, at Atlanta and um, and then it's just morphed into the fact that Sean has, has stayed around and done particularly well at Utah this year with with Sean Davies as well which is another young coach who's been identified as, as somebody who's got huge potential. And um, I've, I've known Rob, I actually coached Rob, feels like a hundred years ago when he was a young pup at London Irish. And I've watched his progress. I mean, he came out to visit me in 2005 when I was coaching Stormers. And then a couple of years later when I was with the Springboks, he came out and I've watched his progress at Wasps. And then, you know, Rob dedicated himself to the US and moved his family over to, to San Diego and obviously did a very good job with the Legion. Um, and then in Stevie Brett, it's a funny story because I, I actually tried to sign Stevie Brett a couple of years ago when I was at Bath. As I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Stevie actually kept Dan Carter out of the team at, at Crusaders. Um, that's how good he was um, as a player. And um, I remember one particular year when, when, when I was coaching Super Rugby, we had to play against them and they, they had that absolute... Um, monster, monster team, and Stevie Brett was one of the guys pulling the strings there, you know, with Dan Carter playing twelve, believe it or not, and 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 so Stevie moved over here as well and cut, you know, got some great experience not only being a Kiwi but having played and coached in France for many years. That's also, a, a, you know, a very interesting pedigree, and then has has come here and done a really great job at job at Atlanta with Scotty. So. It just made sense that, you know, it's worked, you know, it's worked well. And, you know, but Pete, now, now our task is, you know, we, we, we need to get our, you know, our nose to the grindstone now. And we, we, we've got a real job on our hands over the next couple of weeks. And then hopefully if that goes well, then, then we've really got to start our work and our planning for, for Rugby World Cup because, you know, let's just, you know, say it and, and not even beat around the bush. We have to see significant improvements from what happened, not only in the last World Cup, but what has happened in, in, in World Cups gone by. And, you know, I must say I'm I'm very confident about that, mainly because of the of the input from the MLR. So if we go, if we take that one step further with the coaching staff, and obviously you've been keeping a close eye on a number of players in Major League Rugby, you know, how much do you defer to your coaching staff that's brought in for perhaps a little bit deeper insight of players in terms of what builds up, what makes up their character or people they've looked at through the season? Is that something that you take in consideration for selections? Without a question of a doubt, Pedro, yeah, I mean, no, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, you, you've got coaches there who, A, have got an in-depth knowledge of their own players, obviously, that goes without saying. Um, Stevie Brett will know um, details about Charles Wengluski that even, even though I've been working with Charles for a number of years now, he's worked in that daily training environment week in and week out. He sees how he handles the highs and lows, so you get the feedback from that, but then... And, you know, also they've done opposition analysis and they've some, done some really great detailed opposition analysis on, on a handful of players. And, and at international rugby, those players would probably be stars in, in, in the teams that they've played against, you know, none more so than, than a lot of the guys in the Arrows because of the Canadian teams that we've just played against. So um, they, they bring a, a wealth of knowledge. And um, again, I have, a, I have a system and a scheme of where I, I'm able to track players week in and week out. Um, I, I think it's important that I have to watch every single game, and I do. Um, and I, I do watch it with reference to the data and the stats, and I find that interesting to see. And we compare. We have a, we have a world-class standard, which is, which is basically set on world-class standards, the best rugby players in the world. And we've modelled that on, on the best rugby players in every position in the world and what their contributions and how effective they are in the game and what kind of work rate they get through. And we have that as a as the gold standard, and and then we've got the data that we've got from the MLR. And the beauty is you've got a handful of really good international players playing as well, so it lifts the standard of the competition. And uh, you know we we're able to to actually do analysis on on players uh, not only against their teammates but also against the best in the league. And you know that's 
that's hopefully how we can help develop the players, you know, give them that 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 feedback and 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 share that information with them. So, you know, having having the coaches and their input and their their uh, information on the players and you know the way I'm looking at it from from a different with a different lens, you know, hopefully we are pulling in the same direction to not only get our players better but have a good analysis of the opposition. So I think this is a really good um, segue, uh, Gary, into you know, some of the selections that, that you made. So one of the sort of, I, I don't think it's surprising, but I think it's, you know, um, one of the most interesting selections to me was like um, Andrew Guerrero, who came out was, you know, from a small college, right? Notre Dame College, came into NOLA, probably wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the season, um, was in a very competitive position where there were two other American qualified players down in NOLA that are, that are number sevens. Did 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 his stats pop out? Like, how did he? Was it the stats, and then you looked, or was it you saw it and then you looked at the stats for someone like that? No, in the truth, with Andrew, it was the stats. It was one hundred percent the stats. So on the open sides, the the open side in the MLR, who whose data was reflecting the best, was Lucas Rumbles, and then was this guy Andrew Carrera and. You know, we can, you know, in the beginning, I thought, well, maybe he hasn't had enough contributions and, you know, and started watching the game a little bit closely. You know, again, his, his numbers started popping up. And again, luckily watching the game week in and week out, you just start seeing this guy around the field the whole time, you know. And he had a bit of a, he had a, I don't know if you guys remember, but he had a bit of a, a, a young guy called Heinrich Brousseau. And he had a real Heinrich Brousseau look about him. You know, he's not the tallest guy around, but thick set. He's quite wide. He's got a low center of gravity, and but it didn't stop him in terms of his ability to carry and the, you know, his stopping power defensively, and you know, and then he was a bit of a machine over the ball as well. So, and then and then Pete, you know, just pick up a number and then say, okay, well, let's pick the guy. And you know, there, there's some there's some good guys down at Nola, and again, I hope I hope I can say this with conviction that we try really hard and have a good relationship with every club in. You know, I certainly have no issues with any single club in the MLR. And so we picked up the phone to uh, good guys of NOLA, actually. But, you know, Kane, Kane Thompson's, you know, was the forwards coach there and and, and obviously backed by Nate and and, um, and Ryan Fitzgerald. And, you know, these guys were just raving about him, and, and you know, in a, in a conversation. And, and they didn't necessarily know what I was thinking about. Um, and I, and I, I was looking across the league and, and, and just thinking from the makeup of what we were about that, I was looking for a traditional open side. Um, again, you know, there's various different reasons for that. And again, if you if you've got a bigger guy and he can jump in the line and he can do the job of an open side, we'll go for that as well. But um, yeah, and Kane was just saying to me, yeah, he was definitely going to send him down to the NPC and play some some rugby there. So I thought that was always a good sign. And yeah, then just things moved and, and shook around, and uh, he was one of the guys we wanted to put in the team, and he's proved he's proved his worth. So how do you, you know, when you think about selections from MLR players, how do you um, sort of judge now it's a couple of months away from some of these guys playing, right? And if they didn't make the playoffs, it's two months away. Is it like, like, is does, does the, I mean, I'm guessing that the MLR season is the showcase and that's your chance in that season to make it. And when you look into what's happening in the fall, it's really the squad selection is based on the MLR season, but the actual Game selection is probably based in what you see in practice. Is that kind of the way it works, Gary? Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, there's another overriding factor as well, and that is, um, I mean, as we sit here right now, God willing, we make the, the next Rugby World Cup, if, if we are lucky enough to do that, we've probably got 22 test matches before we play the next Rugby World Cup. 20, 22 test matches, 20 test matches. That's all we got. Yeah. Yep. So just understand as well strategically from my point right. of view, I'm not sitting in Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, where, you know, they're having 12 to 15 test matches a year. And let alone the fact that they're able to have assemblies during the course of their domestic right. season. I don't have that privilege. So again, one of the things strategically that we did way before 2019, in fact, at the end of 2018 year, when we started the planning, we started already looking forward to 2023, and I'm now looking forward to 2027. Whether I'm here or not is irrelevant. In fact, I probably won't be. The fact of the matter is, I really want to leave the Eagles 
in a very much better place than when I got got it. And I want to hand them a group of players who we've got one player in the team who's got 50 test caps. One. You know, I, I would like to get to a World Cup, one of the World Cups at least, where we've got the spine of our team. You know, six, seven players have got in excess of 50 test caps. You know, so cumulatively, and then that, that's going to lend to the cohesion. So so why am I saying that initially is is I, I, I'm not going to necessarily make changes. I mean, if I we've deemed that these guys are good enough and and as long as they continue to keep fighting and working hard and, you know, the pressure is on, we, we've got to continue to win. But if that's the case, then by and large, I'd like to think that the spine of the team is going to stay the same. You know, um, AJ is probably going to be involved every single week and, you know, there's no reason to be us about it. He's going to be involved. Ruben's going to be there or thereabouts. Nate's going to be there or thereabouts. Greg Peterson's going to be there. Joe's going to be there. And the list goes on. But... That doesn't mean that I don't want to stop opportunity for other other guys stepping up to the plate, you know. And so it's about that balance. But as you know, you know, it's it's not an exact science. We try and make it an exact science as as much as we possibly can. But you know, the this funnily enough, the science behind it will tell you as well that you know it's it's the cohesion of the team and the longevity of the team and keeping them together. But I've just got to keep that balance. I've got to keep that balance of getting the group to be more and more and more comfortable with each other, understanding that our lineout has a specific way of functioning and that we want to be comfortable with the personnel who, who operate in the lineout. As an example, it's the same with the 8, 9, 10 attacking axis. It's the same with the defensive midfield in the 10, 12, 13 channel. We just want people to be comfortable and see the same pictures the whole time. But we don't necessarily, well, we most certainly don't want to stop young guys getting an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I hope I've been able to create that balance just with, like, the in the last assembly, being able to pick Tavita Lepetti, you know, who was due to go into an academy. And, you know, the footage that we saw in him, he hasn't played an MLR minute, but we were impressed enough and brought him into camp. And, you know, we want to be able to, we can't get it right every time, but we want to be able to afford those opportunities. Let's talk a bit, a little bit more about Lepetti. He's a bit of a bolter into this side and obviously a very physical player for his age balance. He came out of the St. Mary's program. Yeah. Being able to watch that, where was the kind of confirmation to you? Did, did you see something? I noticed you at the rugby town sevens. Did you see something there from him as well? That was that confirmation that he deserved a shot? It, it, it was James. Yeah. I'm, I'm, he was one of probably a dozen to 16 players that uh which is not a lot if if the truth be told i mean it, about a dozen to 16 players that um way back when had been identified from the likes of jd stevenson when jd was still with usa rugby and you know had done a very good job at, at, at talent id and scouting and these young guys were on the radar again you know the challenges that we got with colleges but again trying to build really good relationships with the likes of the St. Mary's and the Life's and the Cal's and everybody else. Um, and, and just having those conversations and in a guy like Tim, who I think is worldly wise, got wonderful rugby experience, you know, for Tim to, to, to speak so glowingly and then obviously watch his footage. But then it's always a difficult one for me because you don't know what the level is. You know? So when you're watching St. Mary's playing against whoever they're playing against that weekend, Arkansas State, you, you you question, you know, I don't know who the Arkansas State defense 12 was. So you, you've got to watch that. But, you know, when when I, I'd seen enough footage to know that this guy's going to make it, he had obviously been picked in there to join the USA Academy that's here in Glendale at the moment. But then when I saw him playing for the Houston team in in, uh, in Rugby Town and, and who I saw him playing against, I saw him playing against the likes of that samurai team who there were a couple of blitz box in that team that I knew there were some really physical specimens um, that were playing in that competition. And I just felt that there, there was a makeup of him that, that really, that really gave me a lot of comfort. He passes the ball beautifully. He's a balanced runner. I mean, he hit anything that came in his way. Um, he seemed to be able to really read defenses, which is hard in seven sometimes as well. And, you know, we brought him into camp and gave him a little bit of a baptism on fire and um, so far so good and he's going to make mistakes there's, there's no doubt about it but you know we just as I said we're just trying to get the balance right so um, you know Gary I think this idea of balance is certainly something I learned when I was coaching the women's national team and I got it wrong I think in probably 2014 because I kept the door open too long right and the reality is that I could have probably selected 80% of my team like in the first year and you, and I think that you're trying to do that and I think it's a really interesting way to go can you talk a little bit about 
like how going into the Canada series, how you made some of those selections and, you know, because obviously there was a lot of MLR guys coming, you know, right off their season and you didn't have a lot of game, like you didn't have a lot of time together before you, before you got to play. Right. And so can you talk, and this is, you know, we're about to get into the coaching space. So we might get a little bit nerdy with me and James on this, but you talk a little bit about sort of in that week, do you go into that first, you know, do you already know what your starting lineup is? kind of when you go into that and, and you adjust as you go, or is it when you come in, you just want to check out the players and see how they're going? I would say going into the assembly on picking the squad that we've asked to assemble, I would probably say in my mind, I would have an 80 to 85% idea of who the 23 would be. I would have 85% nailed on. Um, again, hopefully through the research and the film and the conversations and the footage and the club visits and everything accumulated in the time spent leading up to that. And of course, S&C markers and scores, because ultimately the challenge that I have, and you had as well with the women's team, Pete, is we, we have no preparation time. Right. You know, none. <laughs> we, 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 we land in London on the Sunday and we play in England on Saturday um, at Twickenham and we haven't been together in, in over nearly two years. So, you know, you can Zoom meetings and Zoom calls as much as you want to and send playbooks out until you're literally on the park together running them. It's really been an absolute new world. And, you know, for me as a coach, and this is my 20th professional year as a coach, this has been a completely new world. This is is next level difficult. This is, um, and you really want to get it right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, you, you know, I won't lie. You know, you do go to bed. You know, it's it's different when you've been in camp for four, four weeks. So you've been in camp for six weeks and you've run plays and you've watched the players and you know the players and you're intimate with with, with their, their knowledge of the game and who's who's trained well. And you go to bed feeling pretty confident. You know, now you go to bed feeling confident with 80, 85%. But, you know, some of the other guys, you you, you know, and, and you want, as I say, you want to get that balance right. I want to give Mike DeBruyne a chance. I want to give... Um, a, a chance. I want to give these young guys. I want. I, 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 I want the door open that, you know, if a guy's going to come from the sevens program like Christian did, you know, then I, I want to give him an opportunity because he's hungry to play fifteens as well. But you want to do it. You know, you, you don't necessarily want to throw somebody on 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 this on the on you know out uh, um, out of the mix who's been a, a loyal eagle. But you know, you also want to make sure that people are staying sharp and and, and keeping ahead of the game. So. Yeah, I'd say about 80, 85%. And then you assemble with the coaches and you do have a couple of the training sessions, but I, I'm a person for the team dynamics as well. I like to announce the team quite early in the week so we can train together. Again, I'm quite practical like that. I don't necessarily like to play games and I know it's quite disconcerting for the players as well. So, you know, by the second day we're in camp, we, we're having to make our decisions on the team. So, no, the reality and the truth is there's not a lot that can happen at training at this moment in time that can hugely or could hugely influence me. Now it's been a little bit different because we had that two weeks in the UK and I got to see a couple of players and then they went away with the MLR and then we came back and we were able to assemble for three days before the, the, the test week of Canada. And so we, but those were only the, those were only the American based players. So you could get to see a little bit of that, but you really are seeing some players who are absolutely raw. So um, it, it, it is challenging times now about making the right decisions and, um, again, you know, taking in all these considerations that I've already spoken about, you, you try and get the balance right. And, and you know, you do, you heavily, heavily rely on the MLR coaches. You know, there's some, well, they're great coaches out there. And there's guys who, you know, aren't, I know have been in the trenches and you pick up the phone to them and you have a conversation with them. And by and large, you know, in the excess, the coaches are pretty honest. You know, I mean, they, they're not... They know that they're not they're not going to be biased against a player because they know that obviously their credibility is in the line, you know. So they'll be able to tell you whether you know it helps you a little bit when you get advice from them. So so let's talk about the Canada series. Um, Canada has the game in St. John's, right? So it's the most inconvenient place to go. So probably you probably lose a day prep just by having to travel to St. John's. When you went, you know, and, and you know, we, it's it's going to be a redemption story, Gary. So we can talk about the bad game because we know the good game is coming, right? So, so when you go in, when you were going into that game, you talked about not being sure. Like AJ McGinty turns up late. How did you feel going into that game? Were you nervous about it, or were you were you confident? I mean, actually, the team played pretty well for a large chunk of the game. Maybe not as well as you would like, but like, we're certainly 
you know, had the edge. How did you feel going into that game? Yeah, again, Pete, I have to say, you know, and sit here and try and find excuses, but by, by and large, under the circumstances, you know, everything went well. Our prep was very good. Um, our team manager had an unbelievable, did really, really well with the travel as as long and inconvenient and tough as it was, it went as smoothly as it possibly could. I felt good. I felt confident. I, I, I was uneasy about the lateness of the UK guys coming in um, for no other reason. It's just it's a nasty travel. And, you know, they had to come through America. They weren't allowed to meet us in Canada directly. And so it meant another stop for them on the trip. You know, and then the whole AJ thing was the AJ thing. I mean, the jersey presentation at Hoppers 5 on the Friday evening, they wouldn't let AJ out of his room because his COVID test hadn't come back yet, even though he had he had tested. He was in the States already in Atlanta waiting for a flight, and he had tested, you know, when he got in and, and had tested before he flew. But as you say, you know, we started off well enough, and, um, yeah, it was just a very disappointing day. You know, I... I, I I, I can't literally sit here and, and, and say that there are any excuses. We're absolutely the masters of our own destiny. Um, we made some atrocious decisions on, on the field and we had some shocking executions. And uh, I, I mean, uh, we just literally kept handing the game and the momentum back to Canada the whole time. And we started off brilliantly and, you know, obviously got into their territory and mauled them very well, which we thought we, we were going to have a strong maul and we want to rely on that and, to get a penalty try so early in the in the in the day, and then the scrum went well in the first half. And, you know, we just we needed to nail that coffin shot. We we knew that Canada probably, no disrespect, would have gone away if we had scored two or three quick tries. You know, and and we just kept handing it to them and making silly errors. So um, again, there was there were a lot of reasons, but we were in no different position to what Canada were. You know, they also had their challenges as well with guys coming in. It was an abject performance. It was it was a day you want to forget, you know. Um, absolutely no excuses, only ourselves to blame. I did feel confident. Uh, I did. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I didn't feel we were undercooked. As I said, I thought we had had a very good training week in Denver the week before. And uh, it was very disappointing. But as you say, you know, it, it gave us the wake-up call we needed. I, I just hope we're not going to put ourselves in that position again, you know. And, um, and just of late, it's just been... Uh, it's just been a little bit of a situation where they, they, they've just been a, too, too many situations where it's just been a little bit too comfortable. We've left it too late. You know, the ARC in 2019, and then we had to catch a wake-up call after, ironically enough, we lost to Uruguay. And then we did really well in the PNC leading up and we went against Simone, obviously beating Canada significantly and then playing so well against Japan. And so... It, it, you know, the time is right now. I mean, we've got so much on the line at the moment now, and we, we've really got to put it together now for the next couple of weeks. So it was a dif- disappointing start, but it was a very pleasing finish. And obviously you did such a great job being able to come back and win that series 59 to 50 on the points differential. One thing I want to talk a bit, little bit about, and I want to get into some of the tactics of it, because you came into camp late, you brought a bunch of people together, but you were dealing with a new set of rule changes. And to be yeah. fair out of watching a lot of the MPC and where these rules have come in, I felt like you guys did a much better job of capitalizing on the rule changes than any other side I've watched play. Talk to us a little bit about the rule changes and whether that may, after the first two games, kind of change some of the selection processes you may think about in your match day squad. Because obviously now that 50-22 and the ability to kick the ball deep and receive the ball back, is that going to change the way you approach the game? So, so, James, I mean, we did a lot of as much research as I possibly could do from a couple of games that we played um, in, in, in Australia and New Zealand with, with, with that law interpretation. I didn't really... It's funny you asked me this question to, to, tonight, though, because I think if you had asked me this question on Thursday last week, I may have given you a completely different... I might have tried to sound too clever... And now I'm going to be quite humble in how I answer it because I don't think I'm very clever at all because I, clearly I've got something wrong because I, I just felt we didn't necessarily want to force the 50-22 because, uh, and from our own point of view, we didn't um, dramatically change our backfield cover because I just felt that for the amount of times and opportunities, we still want to counterattack. We still want to get to the halfway line and 
if we do get to the halfway line or our own 10-yard line, we still want to give ourselves an opportunity to, to counterattack and keep ball in hand. Do, do you now swing the pendulum too far across that, you know, every time you're getting the ball in your own half, you're now trying to kick it, but then, then if, if it's not a great kick and they counter really well because you haven't sorted out or they kick counter it back, because you, you're so focused on kicking the 50-22, does that hurt? And I just thought it was a situation of, I, I think this thing can really trip us up here if we try and get too, too clever. So we spoke a little bit about backfield cover, or we spoke a lot about backfield cover, and we knew what we were going to do in terms of protecting our trams. Um, but we, we sort of allowed the playmakers the decision that if they clearly gave us the space and you felt wind-wise and elements on the evening and Colorado is obviously going to be very different to St. John's. You know, if you could go for the 50-22, then have a go for it. But don't necessarily sacrifice the opportunity to counterattack as well. So we sort of had discussions about it and left it into the playmakers' hands, but we knew what the opportunities were. But the crazy part about it is that the law was apparently brought in because the story is that they want you to try and kick more because, because speak upon, you're going to put more people back so that the, it creates opportunities to attack. But then on Friday, well, I'm not going to mention the game but because you guys will know which one it is, but over the weekend, the opening weekend of the Premiership, you've got a game against two of the best teams in the English Premiership and there's 44 kicks at halftime. <laughs> 44 kicks at halftime. I'm thinking, okay, well, they've clearly gone away. And they have got a 50-22 strategy. And they, they are trying to take advantage of that. So, I mean, it worked, it worked out for us, I mean, in the second game. But, I mean, we did actually try it a couple of times. And, in fact, the one, the one where AJ tried it, he just slightly overcooked it. Our kick chase was really good. They dotted it down. And then the other bizarre law came into being, which was the goal line dropout. And yeah. then we had spoken, actually Ruben had spoken about it. He said, well, the guy's going to keep down my throat. Surely I should just have a free go. I was wondering if that was like something that you talked about, or if it was spontaneous. But I guess as the as the scrum half, that's where you're standing, right? You're standing about on the fifty, right that's in it. the middle of the field. And if they kick it down there, it's you know, I mean, especially in Denver at the altitude, it it's a yeah. it's a good so good said, effort. He said to me at Blindell in the training, he said, "You know, can I have a go?" I said, "Yeah, you can have a go," because I mean, the thinking is, well, he kicks it there, and they're going to kick twenty two, we're going to get the ball back again. Um, and he tried it four times of training and missed it all four times of training. So I thought, well, clearly, not going to try that. Um, and then, uh, you know, the ballsy little bugger had a go at it. And uh, it was it was actually a critical time in the game, you know, because it was it, – it, it, so they actually drove a similar nail into our coffin the week before because what had happened is we had a, we had a slightly different situation in, in the game against St. John's when we were playing – well, from our right to left, I, I can't remember where the cameras were, but we were playing into a very heavy wind. So other than the fact that we were in there 22, we had to hold on to the ball. And it really was, it was a, a hell of a wind. And, you know, we had had a really, really good drive towards the line, pick and go, sorry, when I mean drive, I mean pick and go and, and passage of play. I still believe Dylan um, uh, um, uh, Fawcett actually scored the try. It wasn't allowed. They then took a 50 they, they then took a, a, a goal line dropout. And because they had this hurricane behind them, on a situation where we had been held up over the line and should have been our scrum, we were now literally yeah. scrambling in our own 22 in a world right, of pain. Right, right. Ridiculous world. How, how on earth? How on earth? Forget about the wind. I mean, the wind just... It, it, all I'm trying to say is it's, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Because... You know, they're looking at Ruben's drop goal and going, oh, I can't believe that cost us. And I'm looking at the wind behind them and, and that cost us as well because they capitalized on that. In fact, they scored a try off that. And I'm thinking, this just doesn't feel right to me. This just, I, 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 I also, don't understand the logic behind that law. So I, I, I also feel like in the held up law, I mean, eventually you're going to get to the point where you're near the line where the defender is just going to bear hug the defender, the attacker, and fall backwards over the line, right? Well, they're strategic. Because you have to stop him because you don't have to stop him getting over the line. Let him no. get over the line and just get underneath him. Yeah, because previously I probably wouldn't have really wanted to do that because I didn't really want to give a scrum away because it's the best scrum exactly. five yards from your line anywhere is a great attacking opportunity. Now, there's no question of a doubt from our point of view. Again, I don't think I'm giving any state secrets away here. I mean, you, you hope as a coach people have thought about this, but now you're just thinking of... of, of literally team tackling him and as you say just holding him up 
And it, and think about it. You're actually going to pull him over. over the line, right? You're actually going to pull him over the line. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, 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 Gary, um, obviously coming up, huge series against Uruguay, right? For the number one seed in, um, for the Americas to, to go to the World Cup. Um, South America had a huge, it's had a huge amount, just like MLR, a couple of years behind MLR, but you've got the, like in a South American professional um, uh, competition going. Chile beat an Argentinian 15 side. Um, Uruguay were up against Argentina, but weren't able to put it away. Talk a little bit about sort of what you see from Uruguay and and what you think the Eagles are going to have to do to win that game. Well, it's going to, um, I mean, it's a massively improved Uruguay um, team. I mean, this whole SLA, or how you pronounce it, S-L-A-R, and the breakaway, and, you know, what they've done in South American rugby has clearly worked. Um, uh, the, the, uh, they still continue to be able to play um, uh, um, amongst each other, and they had a couple of triangular competitions um, in Montevideo and Buenos Aires and, 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 um, and Chile, as you say. Um, and I've just seen a massive improvement in their game. Huge confidence after coming out of the World Cup and getting that big win against Fiji as well. You know, so they've clearly had a very good preparation. And uh, yeah, Pete, we can have our work cut out for us. There's no question of a doubt. I mean, they, they're stereotypically a, a, a South American team. So they're going to have lots of passion and lots of flair. They're going to have a big, strong, gnarly pack. And they're going to have very much like the current Argentinian national team. They're going to have very good outside backs. Um, and they've actually got a very good nine who's, who's playing in France at the moment now. So we're really going to have our work cut out for us. I mean, it's going to be a very tough series. Again, you know, no different to anywhere else. It's just our levels of accuracy are going to have to be so much better. Um, again, if we go in with the levels of accuracy we had in St. John's, we gonna, it's going to be a tough day for us. Um, uh, but we, we know that now. I mean, I think we've learned some harsh lessons. Um, you know, guys going away now and having a little bit of a break and coming back and a little bit longer in team camp that we've had, I'm hoping is going to bear some fruit. But, um, yeah, it's a very tough series. I mean, this is going to be, I mean, there's a lot at stake in terms of finishing as number one. So um, being able to handle all those factors and, and you know, then obviously on the return leg, having to go down to Montevideo to play in front of what's going to be quite a hostile crowd is... Um, you know, is going to be a big challenge. So, you know, first things first, we've obviously got them here in in, in the States next week. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to everybody coming into camp tomorrow and, you know, starting to do the hard work. And, and you know, let's just take let's just take it one game at a time. But um, there, there were some significant lessons we learned from the Canada series, you know, home and away. And this aggregate thing also brings another whole dimension into the equation that we're going to take into consideration with our strategy. Um, but but it's 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 a big deal, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm confident we we ultimately will qualify for the World Cup. But you know, the sooner we can bed that down, and the sooner we can then know that we've qualified for the World Cup, the sooner we can start our World Cup preparations in earnest. So let's 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 move past this series and then talk about something coming up later this year: the America's Pacific Challenge. So, obviously, 23 of the 28 players have to be under the age of 23 years old. How are you viewing this in terms of a development tool for you? And then around some of the eligibility questions, will this be something you look to maybe lock down some eligibility on some younger players? As you say, James, I mean, um, uh, you're quite correct in the numbers of, of how many have to be under the age of 23. So, again, we, we will fulfill that criteria. So, from that point of view, um, most definitely seeing it as a development um, a tour and an, and, an, and an opportunity again I say to get more game time at international rugby for as wide a depth depth chart as we can we can possibly go um, the timing of it means that you know pretty much none of the guys in Eagles camp because we're going to be busy with the other two test matches are going, are going to be able to go on, on that camp so um, that's fortuitous in a way actually because it just means that we're forced to to spread our wings um, what is really exciting is that currently at the moment, there's a National Academy camp here that's being held um, in Glendale at the moment. And, you know, there's 35 guys from that were assembled from seven weeks of talent ID days around the country over a three-month period to select these guys. And a young, exciting crop of players, you know, some guys who were on a death chart, some guys that we didn't know about before. 
and you know this is a nice four or five week selection period for coaches and 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 uh, and management to have a look and and see this crop and you know the 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 highlights of at the end of this academy thing is that you, you're going to be able to potentially you know fight for a place to be in the APC and then you know there are a handful of guys over 23 and then obviously this is our, another capture team for us as well so most definitely um, it is a consideration that there's a handful of guys that have to be captured um, I think you're alluding to the fact that the, the law changes at the end of this year it goes from three years to five years so those guys who fall into the category of being eligible this is our time that we need to capture them and and um, those are the test matches, that, those two, and then obviously Ireland and, and New Zealand are the other test matches that we've got to capture these guys. So um, there, there's a small handful of those guys, but it's, 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 it's not dozens of players that we under huge amount of pressure that we have to capture. It's a, it's a small handful, but it's quite a powerful, it's quite a powerful group. I mean, there's some very, very good players in there and there's some players we, we would most definitely want to capture um, either through the, the remaining test matches at Eagles men's 15s or in this APC. So, yes, across those two codes, we are looking at, at um, trying to get the balance right. But obviously, we all under pressure that we have to win games. So, you know, you want to just try and get that balance right the whole time. So it's, it's crazy times at the moment. Well, I mean, I think this is a way that MLR, you know, we've talked about. There's a lot of discussion, Gary, you know, about... MLR and US qualified players and foreign players, but this is actually an opportunity for some players that have been here for that three-year residency period because of Major League Rugby to be added into an Eagle selection pool. And I think that, you know, like, like you said, there may not be a lot of them, but the ones that you're looking at are probably ones that can be pretty impactful as you look to the next World Cup. And I think that's one of the exciting benefits that, that MLR is providing to the Eagles. Look, we're taking up a, a lot of your time. I just want to finish with two really exciting games that you guys have, right? So you're playing the All Blacks on October 23rd in DC and Ireland in Las Vegas um, on the 30th. Very, very exciting games. You're going to be, you know, you're going to have the team together for, you know, you, I mean, I'm not sure what kind of sides you're going to be able to get there. Will you be able to get your European players for those games, Gary? Because it's out of the window. No, it's out of the window, unfortunately, yeah. So... We lose a we lose a handful of players back to to the European clubs, um, and that's not ideal in playing that level of opposition. However, it is a really exciting opportunity for um, a us to potentially pick a couple of guys who haven't played for the Eagles before, and um, as you say, and and then also you know ex excitingly enough, you know this group that has been together is still seventy five percent made up of the MLR players and. You know, again, go and test ourselves. I mean, we we were reasonably happy with our performance against England and dreadfully unhappy against our performance against Ireland. And it showed again that I think at this moment in time, with no disrespect to anybody, we, we are still struggling to live with the pace of the Tier 1 game. And, you know, now that we've had a little bit longer together and, and the high-pressure situation of, you know, the Canada qualification, qualification games and the Uruguay qualification games and that group hopefully touch wood, you know, injury and COVID permitting, we can pretty much keep that group together. You know, then we need to go and prove ourselves against these two 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 superpowers, you know, and, and none more so superpower than New Zealand, you know, who are pretty much on tour at the moment now and are bringing the squad that are playing the rugby championship, they're bringing them to to the States because they play Wales a week later. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be the real deal, you know, playing against these guys. Um, it's going to put us under that extraordinarily um, difficult pressure situation again. Um, and and something we're excited about, you know. I mean, it, it's a it's a difficult one, Pete, because um, because I'm excited about it because we want to play the best teams, um, right? But you know, we have to play them and probably learn these lessons in order to get better. You know, but I mean, not playing them and believing we're improving is, you know, we were just fooling ourselves. So, uh, they, they may be quite long days for us, <laughs> those days, but, you know, um, there's a real fighting spirit in this group. And, you know, this group really want to go out and prove that we improve, prove to the, to the, to the fans that we're improving. And, you know, the island game and and the first Canada game hurt you know it hurt a lot you know particularly because we got things wrong on our own part and 
wow, we know we're going to be tested to the limit, particularly against a team like the All Blacks. So it's going to be a wonderful challenge. It's going to be an amazing occasion. I mean, I believe the ticket sales are, are, are for, for Washington are flying at the moment. So um, it's just, just a great occasion to play, you know, one of the best teams in the world. And certainly from a rugby spectacle point of view, just an unbelievable team. We're going to ask so many questions of you with ball in hand. So it's going to be an exciting challenge. Well, Gary, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that you're right in the middle of prep. Um, we really appreciate you spending. It's been some great insight. And, um, you know, I really appreciate your candor. I think you're very open and honest. And I think that uh, it always makes it for um, for a good time with you. So I know, you know, James and I and, and, and all of us, um, and I think even probably the Canadians, you know, are wishing you luck against uh, um, against Uruguay. Uh, uh, you know, if we're, I'm, I'm going to be there October 2nd um, in Glendale. I, I encourage everyone else to come down, pack, pack it. It was pretty good for the home test. The, the crowd got behind it and, and it makes a difference in those games. So let's get everyone down. But, but good luck in that series and um, good luck against the big dogs in Ireland and New Zealand. And uh, we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, sometime soon. Guys, thank you. And thank you guys for your support as well. Um, I know you guys are two massive supporters of ours. So really appreciate that. And yeah, thanks very much for the invite. Always good to be with you guys. Cheers, Gary. So James, what stood out from you in terms of what Gary shared with us? I just love listening to him. I mean, he just <laughs> provides, uh, it just got such a great insight of it. And it's, and it's just, it just, Says it as it is all the time. He does. He so, really does. I mean, you know where you stand with him. I think if you're a player, you'd know. He says he likes to do selections early in the week. I think you already probably have an idea before the selections are made on a Tuesday whether you're going to be in the side or not. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think Gary's very very honest. I mean, I think the challenge that the Eagles have is all about time, right? So you know, um, they they have about 20 games. You know, if they if they beat Uruguay in the home and away coming up. Then they have about 20 tests before 2023. Um, not a lot of time. And in many of those tests, they'll get together, have a couple of training sessions in place. So time is, 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 is a handicap that we have. It's the reason why the tier two nations do so much better at the Rugby World Cup, because they're actually together for six or eight weeks leading into that. And they can close that gap while the tier one nations get that every year. So great to have Gary on. Excited to see what um, the team can do against Uruguay. Um, I'm a great believer that if they, you know, play their best, I think, you know, in the, their lineout is so good. I mean, they've got so many good lineout operators that 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 are there. I mean, it, you know, the funny thing, James, was I was at the game, um, and uh, um, Cam Dolan was shouting Eric Howard, who was the who was the Canadian hooker that had come off the bench. We know where you're throwing. We know where you're throwing. And I'm like, that's going to make preseason NOLA pretty interesting when they get back together. <laughs> but they did. They won like four or five lineouts in a row. And it literally looked like the U.S. knew where they were going. And I, I actually think the loss of Cam Dolan in that first game was um, pretty critical. I think they lost a lot of their rhythm and you know, like the U.S. couldn't win a lineout. So it shows you how important some of that 50 cap experiences. Um, all right. So we've got some... Uh, major transactions that coming up and some signings that have already happened, a couple of overseas signings. So for the, the uh, Seattle Seawolves, they've signed Dan Creel. Um, James, know anything about Dan Creel? I mean, it's a great signing for them. It's signed him on a three-year deal too. He's 27 years old, comes out of a great rugby family. His brother's a professional rugby player from Cape Town. Um, I know that I think it was his, was it his grandfather? He had 15 appearance for the Lions. Uh, he's a... A very good player, balanced player. He he provides a little bit of versatility for him, and he's got a lot of first class experience. So, you know, I think we talked about this earlier on in the season, and we talked about maybe the, a little bit of the honeymoon period for Seattle in terms of some of their signings coming off of these victories, while a lot of teams were very active. I think Alan Clark's done a really good job, and a signing like this is going to be is going to be very good. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the fact that they're signing him for three years and it's not, you know, this is a guy who's in his prime, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's, uh, it, it's a, you know, this is a guy that's coming in to play his prime rugby here. He's, uh, you know, a guy that I think is going to provide 
you know, a lot of experience, some good size. I mean, it's going to be a, a, I think it's a really good signing. I love it when MLR teams sign multi-year deals because it just shows a commitment for the player that they're going to come put their roots down. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him involved in the other Seattle um, rugby and Pacific Northwest rugby stuff going on. The other interesting signing is from the Dallas Jackals. Like Dallas have been pretty active. You know, if we remember, they, you know, and, and fair play to them. They said, hey, look, we can't launch in COVID, right? <laughs> like, like we have to build our brand. We can't do that in COVID. So, you know, they've already signed um, a, a couple of guys, I think, through the uh, um, through the expansion draft. And now they've signed some real experience in um, Chris Pennell, who has over 200 games for the um, for the Worcester Warriors in the um, English Premiership. So he's going to come back in as a fullback. I I suspect we might see him play some some different positions. This is a guy who's 34, so he is a little bit at the end of his year, um, at the end of his career. But that's what Dallas is going to need. They're going to need some experience as they create a team from scratch. And it's a good signing because you want, at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of players that are coming into this Dallas side, and we've already seen the impact of some of the younger players. But you need someone there that is a professional, has been a professional for a long time and can set the tone off the field. I think we've seen the impact of guys like Andy Ellis, guys like your Gittos, coming in and just being that steadying hand off the field, that role model helps people know how to be a professional because, you know, this league is breeding a lot of first-time professionals. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think Dallas are going to need that. We have some uh, um, players that are leaving. So we've got um, Thomas De La Vega, who was outstanding for the Arrows. He's off to France. Um, Sebastian De Chavez is to Wasps and Stephen Longwell to the Jersey Reds. So that's a that's a big loss, I think, for um, for DC. I'm not sure that's in the championship, uh, although it's a great place to go. It's in the you know the Channel Islands. It's a Jersey's Jersey's a great place. Uh, we've got some um, uh, MLR guys that won their first caps in Vancouver. So um, Adam. Um, Adam Channel from LA and David Still from Austin got their first caps in Vancouver. Um, Malachi Eds, um, Estale, uh, who was at Houston, also um, got some of the sevens caps. And, and we're not going to jump too much into the um, uh, Edmonton, um, the uh, sorry, Vancouver and Edmonton series, very developmental squad, but definitely worth um, keeping your eye on. Let's talk about watch Channel it? for some reason. Like Channel, okay? Do you remember going back into the San Diego game? They pull them up from Belmont Shore, basically because their entire squad went down before before that match. And then he comes in, plays yeah, well. It's an, it, an amazing game. He did. Does he he scored like a couple of tries. And it was almost like it was probably one of those jokes where you've seen in the past where a guy gets on the team bus and the coach is just like, um, excuse me, who are you? Are you you're supposed to be on this bus? Like he just come up from nowhere. And you know, I was super impressed watching him play and develop and then seeing him at the rugby town sevens. I thought he was actually one of the better players there. So it wasn't surprising at all to see him make that Eagles roster and then to see him excel. But again, it's just showing you that there are, there are gems there's still out there. talent out there, right? There's still yep. talent out there. You've just got to find a way to tap into it. So um, a couple of other bits of news. So Adam Ashley Cooper enjoyed LA so much, but doesn't want to, you know, but, but his body isn't going to let him play. So he's actually coming back as a senior assistant coach with the Giltinis. I think great, um, you know, because it, there's going to be a lot of turnover in that team and having someone who was a player keep that culture strong, which was a really big piece of the Giltinis, I think is going to be important. Um, and then more Giltini's news. Um, and I think this is a big get for the Giltini's. Dave Clancy leaves UCLA to become the academy director for the Giltini's. And, and um, Clancy's very, very well respected, seen as, as doing great stuff. UCLA is a well-supported program. It's, you know, definitely a place that, that, that players want to go. And having him, you know, see the Giltini's make that investment in the um, academy, I think is really important. Uh, they say that the development incentives that Major League Rugby has put in place are massive and they're a huge incentive for the teams to be able to do this. You've seen the impacts of these academies around the place. Rugby HTX used to be the academy that breeds players that other players pick and then become very successful outside of their franchise. That'll yeah. perhaps change in the future. But, you know, these academy systems, 
I mean, it's, it's crucial. And we've talked in the past, like, you know, how, how far is that developmental pipeline? You invest in this. Is this a five-year horizon? Is this a 10-year horizon? Well, I think it's proved us all wrong so far. The horizon's a lot shorter. No, I think that's right. I mean, I mean, you can see players that have come through those developmental pathways and having big impact on, on, on MLR teams. You know, that talent is there. You know, if you're a young player and you want to make it, you need to get one into one of these academies. You need to get seen, right? And, and you know, your chance may come because of injury, but it's a long season. You've just got to make that commitment and just like, you know, channel when it happens, put your hand up and say, huh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play and, and there's stuff out there. So it's, a, it's exciting times. Well, James, thank you so much for your... Um, for, for filling in for me while I fill in with Dan. Um, it, I don't think this will be the last time you're on MLR kickoff. I, I, I kind of get the sense that Dan, you know, might want to nudge me out and bring and bring you in. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to let that go for now. There's enough and room next to, next to you on one of those benches back there. I can just come huddle in the background with you. That's right. That's right. Come back. You can be, you can be my research assistant in, <laughs> in, in the lab. That's what you can do. Well, well thanks for joining us. It was uh, um, a great opportunity for, to hear from you on your views with the Eagles, with Gary Gold. We appreciate it. We will see you soon. Um, and so on behalf of myself, Pete Steinberg, James Patterson, Aaron Castro, and the recovering Dan Power, um, this is MLR Kickoff. And please leave your reviews, um, tweet at us, engage with us online. We, we always love that. And we will see you next time. Episode 105 of MLR Kickoff, brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop.